It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Monday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for tuning in this afternoon and hope everyone had a very restful and productive weekend as we get ready to get another outstanding week of the final drive started here. Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner, my producer, and of course plenty of topics to discuss that occurred over the weekend. Last night is what you wanted out of the NBA finals. Again, we have a competitive series we there. We got of a course, series. We do have ourselves a great series. And of course we have Alabama baseball that's in great shape and really living up to the preseason expectations that the program did have and the SEC continues to play great baseball. Not so great for Alabama softball this weekend as they mm. find themselves at home now, but not without Montana Fouts bowing out with a wonderful and outstanding career that she had going down. It's probably one of the most recognizable softball players and really one of the most recognizable athletes of all time in the history of Alabama athletics. And, of course, last Wednesday, we had K.J. Lacey <laughs> here in studio with us. And at the time, we asked him, you know, who had been recruiting him, and he let us know about the Power Five schools. Well, this weekend, he takes an unofficial visit to Austin, Texas, and hook him horns. K.J. Lacey <laughs> is now going to become or has verbally committed to the Texas Longhorns and you know I'll say Jeff Kelly must teach some poker face over there because this is now the big congratulations to KJ by the way but this is now the second time that right after because we had Ryan Williams on right before he committed to Alabama and he was pretty even keeled about the whole recruiting question as well as KJ so big credit to coach Kelly over there he, he's teaching his his kids to not give anything away when asked that question because KJ did not let anything on and of course you know f four five days later he commits to Texas so yeah. big congratulations to KJ very happy for him I think it's going to be great but you know Sarah Land is absolutely loaded with power five prospects as evident as them winning the state championship and the, the scary part if you're a Sarah Land Spartan opponent knowing that a lot of these young men are 2025 20, members and they're not seniors coming up so the cupboard's not going to be bare here for a couple of years. And last night in the NBA, Miami finds a way to make it a series. They they even this thing up with Denver 111 to 108. Got to give you some credit there. You were you were pretty convinced that the Heat would steal one on the road. I I was not. So you know, we'll, it's just the way we'll that they do played that. in Game One. It, it, you kind of expected the Heat to really show up and play their brand of basketball, either in game one or in game two. You didn't think that they were just going to lay down and die in Denver at all. But 
kudos to, you know, the Spolstra in the heat. No road team and one in Denver in over two months. Yeah. And nine and oh record in the postseason. And then you have to figure out, all right, what is going to be the strategy to slow down the Joker? <laughs> Still at what, 41 last 41 night? points. Not a triple-double. But I, I'm, I will still say this. He's going to find a way to, to get his triple-double in Miami in game three or four, a combination. But when he's playing it, the total package, that's what makes it hard when his game is just very well-rounded. And Gabe Vincent, a young man that had 23 points, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo had 21 points apiece. Jimmy Butler, he, he's due for another 40 point performance or so but I just love his mentality and his philosophy about blocking out all the noise Bronner and I know Jimmy had a lot to say about the doubters and where his mindset is with the Miami Heat you played on a lot of mentally tough teams over the course of your career what is it about this specific team that makes them so resilient especially in this run that you guys are on uh I just think nobody cares on our team. We're not we're not worried about what anybody thinks. Um, we're so focused in on what we do well and who we are as a group that at the end of the day, that's what we fall back on. Um, make or miss shots, we're going to be who we are because we're not worried about anybody else. That's how it's been all year long, and um, that's not going to change. So that's what I think it is. I think it's the I don't give a damn factor. And he means it. The Miami Heat block out all the noise and – they don't give a damn what anybody else thinks about their program and their organization, and they took care of business. They go above sea level, and now they're heading back to the coastal plain in Miami, and I, I think that we'll come away with another split here, yeah. and I'm excited the fact that Miami decided that when they were down eight points in the fourth quarter, got off to a quick start, which was important. They inserted Kevin Love in the lineup and raise your hand if you had Kevin Love starting for the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. Oh, your hands up. Oh, you're a liar. Exactly. <laughs> Not too many people had thought that Kevin Love would be a part of this NBA Finals, especially to start in the NBA Finals. What's even more impressive, though, is that Miami Heat find a way to get their 13th win as an 8 seed <laughs> because people forget because the the way that the Miami Heat have been playing great basketball, that they're an eight seed. A play-in game is how they get into the NBA Finals. Well, Jimmy would tell you that they don't give a damn. Yes. But, no, so it was interesting because obviously they got smoked in game one, but it wasn't like – wasn't like they weren't getting the shots they wanted. It it looked like they played the Nuggets pretty. It, it like we've said, it really is pretty simple for this team. Like if Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and Jimmy too are making their shots, they're gonna have a pretty good chance. They were down 24 headed into the fourth quarter, went on an 8-0 run to start out the fourth quarter of Game One, and and really seemed to find something in that fourth quarter of Game One. And then, uh, like you said, came out strong to start Game Two. And are kind of just able. And Nuggets had a, Nuggets were up like 12 at one point in the game, and really they're just able to weather the storm and uh, play their game and find a way to win a game on the road. Now at the end last night, somehow, some way, the Nuggets find a way to have the ball down three with 15 seconds left, and why on earth the Heat didn't foul Jamal Murray or or whoever? 
and give him a chance to have that look to take a three. And I, I don't think you can even utter that Michael Malone should have called a timeout because, well, Jamal Murray got a really good look. Uh, he did miss, yes, but you live with that miss. I mean, it, it was a really great look for Murray, so you, you live with that miss. But, man, it's like it, there seems to be this, like, coaches can't figure out what they want to do down, da, uh, da, uh, da, or uh, up three. So right. Like, why don't they foul? Because it boils down to what your strategy is going in. This is a game of chess, not checkers. And when you're coaching, you know ahead of time, when it's certain time and scoring situations, whether you're going to foul, whether you're not going to foul, whether you're going to go for the three, go for the two, whether you're going to call a timeout, whether you're going to play through it. And kudos to Coach Malone because he could have called a timeout. And I guarantee it's damned if you do, damned if you yeah, don't. Yeah, he definitely thought about it and was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna let my guys figure this one out. And again, like – the decision to call a time uh, you can you can point it out because they didn't they didn't get a bucket but that being said like i said like you live with that shot that Jamal Murray got off i it was good luck it almost went now in if it goes in again you're going to second guess the coaching and the strategy why didn't you foul yeah. you should have fouled you allowed him to go to overtime so it's whatever nuggets weren't losing game that game in overtime is. great look yeah and it really, I thought it, it, it was going to go in. And it was contested. That's the only thing that you can have. But by calling a timeout in that situation, the only bonus that you get is now you're making the defense decide to make switches or what play you're going to call, what your personnel is going to be coming out. So you have to evaluate that. Now, as far as letting the Joker loose, the Joker's not going to go for 41 points through in games three and four and five. If he can get, he could. <laughs> if he can, if he can get twenty five points, twelve rebounds, and ten assists, he's happy with that. He's happy with his efficiency. And last night, did he have to take over and start scoring for the Denver Nuggets? Yeah, probably so. But the difference maker is again the three ball. When the three ball falls early for Miami, same thing with Denver. When they were down twelve, yeah, you had Murray. Boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, you're at a three-point deficit instead of a 12-point deficit. And we have ourselves one well of a series, Michael Brauner. And that's what I love. Basketball is a game of runs. Yeah. You're going to make those tremendous runs. And that's what you're seeing in the NBA Finals so far is game one pretty much dominated by, to me, the Denver Nuggets. Game two, the Miami Heat said, look, we're going to come up with a different strategy. We're going to play a different way, and the Joker can get his, but Murray's got to step up and find a way to get his too. Now, Kevin Love only scored six points and played 22 minutes, but inserting him into the lineup, it really worked. And now you're looking at possibly getting Tyler Hero back, if yeah. not in game three, Game four. I mean, he was. It was possibility for him to come back for game two. So, which you know, you're I looking at game whether three. Whether he plays at this in point. game three or four, it does a couple of things. Him it not playing in almost two months gives you another shooter. One definitely another shooter, but it also gives you another ball handler. And Hero can handle the rock. I think that he'll have to knock the rust off. But at the same time, I love the fact that we do have a split in Denver, and we've given ourselves a reason not to b brush off the NBA Finals and, and, yeah. and to make it relevant. No, it, it was definitely trending in a direction of, uh, like, 
who who cares about this finals and so very glad that Miami was able again I you know I don't have a dog in this fight I, I don't care who wins this final so you know I just want to see a good series uh, that's why like <laughs> when they weren't fouling up three I was I, I was like man but what you do don't see, let this game get to overtime you see you had Missoula earlier in in, in the series calling timeout or not calling timeout yeah. going to the house with two timeouts remaining in his pocket and it ultimately cost his team eight those timeouts with because he didn't call timeout it all boils down to what your strategy is going in because depending on the flow of the game you can look at analytics all you want to analytics say call timeout but in the flow of the game if you have your all-star with the basketball you're gonna you're gonna live and die with that yeah and different coaches have look. different strategies on the timeout thing like I mean, take Nate Oates, for example. He, he has a tendency to not call a timeout when his team is uh, kind of getting ran on it. It bothers me. I, I don't get – I don't really get it. I mean, someone else can explain uh, for sure. But, yeah, that uh, that not calling a timeout and letting your guys figure, out, figure it out has never been a strategy I'm a fan of. Well, Murray, he, he really struggled last night. Three out of eight from beyond the arc, 18 points. To me, for the Nuggets – to continue to thrive you need him to score at least 25 yeah and let joker go for 25 or more so if you have murray and joker both having 25 points apiece you're in great shape jimmy butler and bam had 21 points apiece and of course gabe vincent shot the basketball extremely well also and that makes a difference in whether the heat will have an opportunity to win this series but don't take anything away from the fact that the Miami Heat are an eighth seed and had to beat the Atlanta Hawks in a play-in game just to be having an opportunity to make it to the NBA Finals. And say what you want to about their record, Jimmy Butler has found a way to get it done in the playoffs and has been playoff Jimmy. But he's going to have to be super-duper special to make sure Murray doesn't go along with Joker and get off from a scoring standpoint for them to find a way to either take the lead in this series because if they go up 2-1 now Denver the the, the pressure starts to mount yeah on Denver then then that game four becomes pretty much a must win for Denver on the road uh I I'm inclined to think Denver wins game three I'd be curious to see what the line on that'll be uh but yeah I mean it, the pressure squarely shifted to Denver at this point you steal one on the road you you did your job you have to figure Miami's gonna win at least one at home after being able to grab one on the road so yeah I mean the pressure is squarely shifted to Denver at this point I'm not saying they're not the better team and I'm not saying I don't think they're going to win the series because I do still think both those things are true I still think Denver wins this series in probably six games but you know thing, things are shifted now let me let me ask you this Michael would you be an analytical coach or would you go with the flow <laughs> of whatever the game is giving you at the time? In what sense? Like Just with calling timeouts or, time or scoring shots? Situation. Time scoring situation. Yeah. Are you an analytical guy? Well, are you going to do it by the numbers? Or are you going to go with the flow and what your players are giving you? I like to think about that from a football perspective because like i think fourth down decision making is is the best example of like flow of the game versus the number because you like if you look at quote unquote the numbers and the analytics it almost always tells you to go for, for go for it on fourth down but 
I think that's ridiculous. And, you know, the, the real analytical people in the football community will tell you that feel of the game isn't a real concept, which is truly one of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard. So, you know, I fall somewhere on the middle of that. I think analytics can be used as a tool. Uh, I don't think that they're the be-all, end-all really in any sport, maybe basketball more than others. But, yeah, I, I'd say I certainly fall in the middle of that scale. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a situation where you go with the flow of the game. I, analytics is fine, but I'm going with what the flow of the game is telling me. If I have timeouts available and I feel that we're in a situation where I can create a better mismatch, all right, if I trust my players to play through and I have an all-star, I'm going to let them shoot the rock like last night and I can live and die with that for sure. The other side of the break coming up here on the final drive on FM, excuse me, the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And we're excited about talking Alabama baseball. Not so happy about Auburn baseball. Alabama softball, they're singing the blues too, but fantastic games this weekend if you're an Alabama fan. We'll talk about that next on the other side of the final drive. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And when you look at Alabama softball and the fact that this weekend, of course, on Thursday, they lost to Tennessee 10 to 5. And then Michael Bronner said, you know, if Alabama loses, it'll be maybe two to one. It'll be a very low scoring affair. I can't remember if that was an on air or off air conversation, but either way, I absolutely nailed the result of that game. Loses two to zero on Friday to Stanford. So their college world series chances go down the drain and Montana Fouts is definitely going to be recognized as one of the greatest student athletes in the history of the University of Alabama for sure and what's even more impressive is the fact that I would have loved to have seen Alabama have a swing at Oklahoma the Oklahoma Sooners 59 and 1 tell you what it wouldn't have been pretty <laughs> 59 and 1 the Oklahoma Sooners they have won 51 games in a row after an extra innings win over Stanford today. And Oklahoma trying to become only the second team to win three straight Women's College World Series. How, how impressive is it to see Oklahoma have the type of dominance to where they're winning 51 games in a row and... If they are able to come away with this three-peat, will it be one of the more impressive dynasties in all of college athletics? Yeah, 50. I, it's, they're what, 59-1 and one on the season? 59-1. That's, that's uh, bordering on absurd. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it would certainly be up there with uh, with any of them. I don't, I don't know how many times there's been a three-peat in softball. I'd have to look, but I, 51 second wins time. in a row. It'll be the second Whew. time in the history 
of the Women's College World Series. Yeah. No, uh, it's certainly just ridiculous numbers that that team is putting up. I, you know, you can say, I wish Alabama had gotten a shot at them. I, I honestly don't think it would have been very good. So uh, it stinks for Alabama, but didn't really think they had much of a shot. Uh, obviously, a huge ac accomplishment for that team to make it to uh, to Oklahoma City. So, you know. Now, what you're seeing now is the winner out of Florida State and Tennessee will have an opportunity to see the Oklahoma Sooners in the Women's College World Series. And if you're Alabama baseball, mm. you had How about that, man? an opportunity to have a great weekend as Alabama gets started, wins both their games in the regional, 4-3 over Nichols in walk-off fashion, 8-0 versus Boston College. And that game, Broner, were you up? Last night, no, watching, no, I I went to bed. Well, to see that finish, the Troy one was even uh, was even later on Saturday night, I believe. I that was a wild back and forth game. Alabama takes the lead on Saturday night on a on a throwing error in the ninth. And I'll, I'll play for you real quick the uh, thirty second clip of the booth audio from Chris Stewart and Roger Hoover. Rolled out to short. That'll be gobbled up there. They'll plant. They'll throw to first, and it's an error. He gets away. Two runs will score, and Alabama's taking the lead. Oh, mercy. Cobb airmailed it to first, and the tide goes on top. Nine to eight. Can I get an amen from the congregation? Oh, mercy. He, he, he Man, I love Chris He Stewart. got a lot of amens. For those that were watching and listening, but the Joe, it was rocking. Yeah, it, it was an electric atmosphere because first time I think maybe since '06, first that time Alabama, yeah, had first an opportunity to host a regional. Yes, now, they're 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 looking at playing Wake For mm. Forest on Friday. You seen those scores <laughs> that what Wake Forest did in their regional? And, and their bats are blazing. It was Bonner. like twelve nothing. I think. 21 to 6 or something like that and maybe another 12 to 2 something like that it was three absolute blowouts for wake forest i mean lindsey crosby referred to them last week as a buzzsaw and they certainly performed as such we'll see man i it's very possible wake is just going to be a bit too much but first first super regional alabama's made since 2010 and obviously what's been a turbulent year for the crimson tide baseball program so obviously they've you know kind of overachieved a little bit as well already uh based on where they were at a month and a half ago so nice to see them make the super not that they don't have a chance it's baseball you can get hot but uh yeah i mean the fact that they have to go to winston-salem here and take on this wake team that is just i mean they're a machine right now it's it's pretty unbelievable but hey they got a chance to get to omaha for the first time since 1999 so we'll see what happens i, I don't give them a whole big realistic shot to beat wake but you know i'd i'd be happy to be proven wrong on that one well the, the great thing is now you're getting double elimination to where you have an opportunity to where if you if you come up short against wake you have an opportunity to possibly see them again and survive in advance and if you you're able to redeem or get a second crack at them by all means i'm all for it but everything that alabama baseball program has been through from the beginning of the way that they played to where they're able to have their coach fired they didn't quit on one another 
And yeah. they could have folded. They battled in the SEC tournament, and now they're still alive representing the SEC. And if you would have told me that that would have been the situation, I wouldn't have thought that they would have been able to continue to bounce back from their head coach betting against them. But one thing's for sure, Bama boys don't bet against them now because things are going the way that they want them to go and looking to play a very good Wake Forest team on Friday. Tomorrow, Tony Sakalis coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. The final drive with Corey Labounty and my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Monday. And, of course, that means we get to welcome Tony Sakalis into the final drive. Tony, I know it's been a very busy weekend from a Crimson Tide standpoint. How are you doing, my friend? Tired, but I'm doing all right. Well, I tell you, Tony, when you start with the fact that Alabama baseball, again, going into the break, I talked about, I personally, when Coach got fired for gambling, I, I didn't know how this team would react. I, I thought that they would fold a little bit under the pressure, under the magnifying glass, and here it is. In the regionals, Alabama goes 2-0, and and is ready to take on Wake Forest. Yeah, who would have thought? I mean, most of the time when this kind of thing happens, um, you know, teams fade. Uh, you know, things just kind of go haywire. The, the team might spawn for a little bit instantaneously, but they're not able to keep that momentum up. Uh, that wasn't the case. And credit to Alabama for being able to uh, not only just – recenter themselves and establish some momentum, but maintain that momentum and not just get a quick kick off that, you know, overcoming adversity, but to, to really transform themselves into a contender. You know, I, I think no one would have thought Alabama would even be in this position, but I don't think it's necessarily a crazy thought to think that they could beat Wake Forest now, which is, you know, absolutely a different thing than we would have thought maybe two months ago. Tony, when, uh, when I hear you say that, I mean, I can't help but looking at what Wake Forest did in their Super Regional. I know they were playing lower-seeded teams than Alabama was. I, I just I, – obviously, it's baseball. You get hot for two games, anything can happen. But, man, I mean, that that is just an unbelievable team up there in Winston-Salem. I mean, sure, but, you know, baseball is all about being hot. Not to say that, you know, <laughs> Wake Forest is pretty hot themselves. But I, I think Alabama – you know, has what it takes. They've got capable, a capable pitching staff. Uh, if the bats, you know, produce like they have been, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that it's only a three-game series. You know, you win that first game. Um, I mean, really, if you don't get swept, anything can happen in a one-game series. And, you know, so it, it, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Um, I just wouldn't count all of them out just yet. No, I'm definitely not going to count them out moving forward because they really showed me what they were made of with their resolve in the SEC tournament and how they ended the season on a high note in regards to having momentum carrying over now from the SEC tournament. An electric atmosphere at the Joe because it's been since 2010 to where you have an opportunity to, to experience that. Alabama fans really showed up and showed out, and after Patrick Murphy 
gets eliminated from the Women's College World Series, he makes sure he's sitting behind home plate to support the Crimson Tide. Yeah, that's classic Patrick Murphy. He's a class act, and he really cares about Alabama, not just about you know his program, but about you know the whole the whole team. Um, I mean, sorry, sorry, the, the whole university, the whole athletic department, and uh, you know, I, I think it's a he's a class act, and and it's tough to see his team kind of not really go as far as they wanted to in Oklahoma City, but kudos to them for making it as well. You, you talk about you know teams not being where we thought they'd be. I think after Montana Fouts went down, no one thought that uh, Alabama softball was going to be able to make it to Oklahoma City, and and they you know come out and they do that. So there's a lot of credit to that program as well. Well, softball program does come up short. I, I know Montana Fouts wrote the letter to college softball and really cried her eyeballs out and laid it all out on the line, her passion for Alabama. And I, I think that, again, she's going to be one of the most recognizable athletes in the history of Alabama sports. No question. I mean, uh, four-time All-American, pitched a perfect game in at the highest level of softball. Um, that, that's a Alabama moment that will go down, you know, across all sports. And, you know, and she was such a great representation of Alabama, too. I mean, there were, you know, count, she was probably the biggest role model, I think, maybe out of any Alabama athlete I've covered in terms of the way just young girls gravitated towards her. Uh, and everything she did, she put the university in a good light. Uh, she really handled that spotlight really well. So, you know, uh, great representation of Alabama. And like you said, somebody that, you know, I think Alabama fans are going to remember for a long time. Tony, I'll just uh, ask you this one pretty point blank, I suppose. Is uh, is Jason Jackson going to get this job? Uh, he has a possibility. But, you know, as we reported on uh, on Tide Illustrated, Alabama has a lead candidate. It's not Jason Jackson. Um, you know, I... Nothing's finalized yet, but I, I think that when you look at the situation, I think a lot of our fans and a lot of our readers on the site and a lot of Alabama fans in general just want to give that job to Jason Jackson, which, I mean, he has done an amazing job, 13-4, and four, taking this program to you know heights that no one thought he would get to once he stepped in for Brad Bohannon. But it's only been 17 games. And I think you also have to look at the, you know, the total resume from – everyone involved and look this alabama program it's an sec job in a state that produces a lot of talent i know there's a lot of things going against alabama in terms of you know competing with other schools that have lottery systems and the scholarships aren't necessarily even but it's a desirable job and it's going to attract a lot of quality candidates and so i don't think you can just be sentimental um with the hiring of just uh, jason jackson not to say that he doesn't deserve it. Not to say that he won't be hired because nothing's finalized yet. But I do think that at the moment, I don't necessarily think he's the lead candidate from what I've heard. Um, but then again, I mean, shoot, you beat Wake Forest in a Super Regional, take Alabama to the, to the College World Series, maybe things change. Quality candidates and recruits have been committing verbally to the University of Alabama. Alabama gets a three-star selection this weekend and i know the selection that they had this weekend had roots to florida state i think he was a florida state legacy but that's just the job alabama picks up two over the weekend yeah i mean it never stops right we have all these uh all these sports doing well and then obviously the the recruiting scene it never stops you know the so brandon howard is our recruiting guy and 
boy, is he busy these days. But, uh, you know, it, it just keeps it, it – it's a nice way uh, of keeping the offseason going. And, you know, this Alabama is a recruiting machine. So the football team is never going to stop bringing in um, talent. And, and they're, they're going to build another class this year as well. Um, it seems like every year this is a top five class, top three class. And I don't think this year will be any different. Nate Oates rumored to be bringing in – at least revisit some some highly touted targets from the portal. Grant Nelson, North Dakota State, possibly Arthur Kaluma from Creighton. Any anything you've heard on on that front? Uh, the North Dakota State bigs coming in this weekend, and uh, that's a that's a must get for Alabama. That, look, I don't think anyone was expecting Charles Bediaco to leave, and now you've got you know a hole a gaping hole in your front court, and not a lot of quality guys to fill it. That's the best uh, player remaining in the portal and a guy that can make an instant impact and, you know, fill some of the void left behind by, by Charles Bediaco that you weren't necessarily expecting to, to have. So uh, it's a huge recruiting weekend for Alabama basketball and one we'll be following for sure. Well, it's not just football and basketball that, that are being involved. Of course, Nick Saban has his football camps to where you start to see and one of the commitments that kind of got away was K.J. Lacey. He takes a non-unofficial uh, visit, rather, down to Austin, Texas, and goes ahead and verbally commits to Texas this weekend and tries to do a little recruiting of his own, saying that one of his teammates, Ryan Williams, who has been a solid verbal Alabama commit, trying to go ahead and talk him on down to coming down to Austin and saying howdy partner as well. That's just kind of the way it works, man, right? You lose out on one kid, it can turn into two because uh, all these kids know each other. They don't even have to be teammates now. It's like, you know, these kids, they go to camp, they build relationships. I think in the long term, though, and what mostly happens is you can say that, and, you know, you get kids get emotional when, you know, big things happen and it, it starts to sway a little bit. But I think every kid is going to make the decision for itself. And so um, we'll have to see how that one works out. But I, I don't think – I think Alabama's going to have a lot to say about that as well. Well, I know going back to what Alabama's going to have a lot to say is this Friday when the Crimson Tide take on Wake Forest and everyone's looking forward to that. But it's another opportunity again for Alabama to continue to try to write that Hollywood script. And if there's one thing that you can bet on, it's the fact that these Bama boys are going to – take this game seriously and and how huge is it to try to win that first game or winning that first game so you don't put yourself knowing that look one more loss and we're done here but we can go ahead I would rather drop two after winning the first than to drop two in a row yeah I think that yeah, obviously that first game creates the momentum. Although I, I did have – I used to cover high school sports, and one of the things that stuck with me was there was a coach um, that would always pitch his ace. I'm not saying I was going to do this, but it is a way to think about it. He always argued that the most important game in a uh, in a three-game series was actually the second game, which I which is probably out of the three that the, the you know the one that people talk about the the least. But uh, his his mindset was that no matter what you do in the first game, if you win the second game, you have either won the series or create the momentum heading into that crucial third game. So you know, the three-game series is so short that it you know I think what Alabama needs to do is just 
you know, obviously they'd love to, to win both games, right? But I don't think it's going to happen against Wake Forest. I think you just need to get to that game three. Uh, get to that game three with enough of your staff to, you know, actually be able to do some some damage. And then at that point, I mean, you're playing a one-game series to get to Omaha, and anything can happen. You have a big inning, you could blow the game open, you know? So um, I, I think that, you know, don't get swept and then, you know, kind of pro- – if you're the underdog, if you're the, the Cinderella story – you want to create as much chaos and, and stay alive as long as possible. And I think so. Alabama's going in, I would say, somehow find a way to get to that third game. And I think maybe momentum at that point might, might carry them over. Tony, I know you're the managing editor for Tide Illustrated of Rivals. But when you look at what this Oklahoma team in women's softball has been able to accomplish, 59-1, and winning 51 games in a row, if they're able to win this Women's College World Series, it'll be their third straight in a row, and they'll only be the second team to do that. When you're able to put those type of numbers up, would that be considered one of the greatest dynasties or legacies in collegiate athletics? I, how can you say no to that? I mean, look at the dominate, like look at the domination they've been able to, you know, put together. It is absolutely insane. Uh, only one loss. Over, how would you say, 59 and 1? Yeah, 59 and 1. Yeah. It's like you build like a super team. I mean, shoot. I mean, they could probably compete against Team USA. You know, you, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? It, it is, <laughs> it's, I think that, you, I, I honestly think you could put that team into the Olympics and it can come away with the gold. You know, so um, it, it's, a, it's a super team. Um, I know a lot of people don't like watching them. They are a very passionate bunch. They seem to celebrate literally, especially for a team that's only lost one time. They <laughs> celebrate everything as if they've just won the World Series. You know, they get a two-out walk and they're slamming the bat down, and you know, it's it's kind of crazy. But um, yeah, in terms of what they've been able to put together, it's truly special. Um, and it's kind of one of those things, you know, as a neutral, you know, observer, I kind of want to see them go all the way and only lose one game and. How crazy would that be? I mean, no one's ever going to top that. No, I I agree with you there. How can everyone follow all your outstanding coverage, Tony, uh, that you do at Tide Illustrated? Yeah, the site's TideIllustrated.com, like you said. You can also go to Alabama.Rivals.com. You can follow us at Tide Illustrated on Twitter, or you can follow me under at Tony Tony underscore Sukalis at Twitter as well. It's Tony underscore (laughs) Sukalis. Tony, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. All right, thanks. Tony Sakalis joining us here on the final drive again, managing editor for Tide Illustrated. And, of course, this time next week, Michael Bronner will find out how the Alabama Crimson Tide baseball team has fared and whether they're going to be having an opportunity to make it to Omaha or not. We'll, we'll talk about that again this time next week for sure and look forward to talking to Tony again this time next week. The Final Drive will be right back. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Welcome back to The Final Drive and want to thank Tony Sakalas from Tide Illustrated for joining us. And one of the things we did not discuss and talk about with Tony is a subject that we talked about last week. And 
it was the fact that Tony Mitchell, the true freshman defensive mm. back, has returned to team activities for the Alabama Crimson Tide after his arrest back in March. And, and I will say this. There's nothing better than a redemption story. And we had not heard from Tony Mitchell as of yet. And this weekend, he had an opportunity to speak to some young men. And he had this to say. Didn't know if he would get to play football again. And he continued to stay close with the Lord and those who loved him unconditionally. And... He said that God has a designated path for you and all your talents are from the Lord. Don't let anyone or anything distract you from the purpose and keep a small circle of people that truly love and care about you and always work hard because it will pay off. And I will say that there's nothing better than a redemption story. You see Hollywood do it all the time. Yeah. You see Hollywood scripts all the time about it. And Tony Mitchell even though he's a true freshman, has an opportunity, if his name is called, to be productive and for people four years from now or three years from now to say, look, he was a young man who made a horrible mistake, lacking judgment. But I like the fact that he's going to have an opportunity to redeem himself and continue to, to pursue it. Yeah, we got a couple minutes left here. Let's go out to Chuck real quick. Haven't heard from you in a while. Chuck, what's going on? Hey, I'm just going to say kudos to the Alabama baseball team, uh, the job that uh, Jason Jackson's done. Just incredible. Uh, if you go back to uh, the end of that LSU series, you brought it up, uh, Corey, that uh, Bohannon is dismissed. He met with uh, Greg Byrne for about 20 minutes. And that was the only time he had to prepare to go tell the team, hey, this is what's going on. I'm the coach now. And that came on a week where they had a Thursday, Friday, Saturday SEC slate. And that was when they played. They hosted Vanderbilt. And Ed Pinkney hit a grand slam uh, in about the third or fourth inning that night. And that, that started it. And uh, they haven't slowed down. So, uh I don't know what's going to happen with Wake Forest, uh, but uh, I uh, I certainly like their chances. I called your morning show last week, told them that's the selection. I thought Auburn was overseeded. Um, John Cohen, athletic director at Auburn, chairman of that committee, uh, they played Alabama four times. Alabama had beaten them three times. Alabama had won 40-something games. Auburn had not. Uh, it just sounded real screwy to me, and uh, – I'm not surprised that they went home in two. So, uh, at any rate, uh, I hated for Montana to go out the way she did, but I was not one of those who was pulling for a matchup with Oklahoma. That is a dynasty. And uh, lost one game this year back on February 17th to Baylor, 4-3, to three, and that's it. <laughs> so, uh, and you think about I also told you about three weeks ago, Patrick Murphy needs to hire a hitting coach. You had one hit in that game against Stanford. I don't know how you guys felt watching it, but when Stanford got two runs, I said, this game's over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, Alabama's best hitter was Prangy. They moved her to leadoff. I'll give kudos to uh, Murphy for that. But Stanford walked her three times. They said, hey, look, we're not going to let your best hitter beat us. 
and uh, that's how they took her out of the game. So, at any rate, I do. I did hear Patrick Murphy say the other night he was at the ball game, Alabama ball game. He's been told by his bosses he has to hire a batting coach. So, it's uh, a good at nugget. least now the only team in the SEC that didn't have a hitting coach for their softball team will be forced to get one. So, hopefully, it pays some dividends because this is not. 2009 anymore where your first three batters are slap hitters and you give it to a pitcher and goes out there and dominates so appreciate the call chuck you bet always appreciate chuck calling in and chiming in and someone else said alabama needs a real hitting coach well according to chuck they're going to get one and that may make a difference but if it doesn't you can bet patrick murphy is going to be against him because he feels that the way he's doing things has continued to work for the program. Top of the 4 o'clock hour. Coming up next here on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number two of the final drive. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Monday afternoon. Hope everyone has had a great work week or work day, rather, and had a great work weekend. Work week kind of just uh, getting started. So trying to wrap it up a little early. Hey, look, you, you can never wrap up work because, again, sports, seven Days out of the week, 365, always something to talk about. And, of course, one of the great things about college football is the fact that once you have that phenomenal season, you have an opportunity to, if you're a first-team All-American, which is a requirement to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. The ballots came out today for the 2024 College Football Hall of Fame. The big names, of course, being Larry Fitzgerald, Terrell Suggs, and Michael Vick. All three phenomenal collegiate athletes and didn't do too shabby when they played professional football either. But one of the things that I like to look at is when you look at the head coaches, one that's very deserving, Larry Blakeney, the former head coach at Troy, when they transitioned from FCS to FBS and had an opportunity to to win a national championship. Of course, Michael Vick finishing third in the national champion, uh, excuse me, third in the Heisman voting. Tommy Tuberville having an opportunity, even though now (laughs) he is a politician, he still makes it and has an opportunity there to be nominated. And 21 seasons in the SEC, 
or excuse me, as a head coach, 14 in the SEC at Auburn and Ole Miss. Pine Box. Yeah, that's pretty much where where he would be considered. But 13-0 at Auburn in, in 04. And I think that the problem surely that sa- Surely that saved his job, right? Absolutely. <laughs> a- absolutely. Moving, well, forward, moving forward from there. The, the, the College Football Hall of Fame ballots denominated by athletic directors, head coaches, and sports information directors, better known as SIDs. And you, you really have a situation where Chris Samuels from right here in Mobile, Alabama, Shaw High School, All-American at Alabama, nowhere to be found mm. in the College Football Hall of Fame. And I, I don't know why that is because – to me, he's going to be a pro football Hall of Famer here pretty soon. But I really don't I don't know what you have to do besides being All-American to, to, to actually be voted and nominated and, and to win it. Because 2024 SEC players, the big names, of course, Garrison Hurst, Antonio Langham, Ed King, Brady James, nobody can forget about the speed Willie Galt used to have. Tim Couch. Oh, yeah. Michael Orr. Takeo Spikes is one there as well. But Florida running back Eric Rett and Chris Samuels, the former offensive tackle for the Crimson Tide, didn't carry over to this year's ballot. We're on the 23 ballot. And I, I just don't know how that happens. And I, I, out there, if you can tell me how and why Chris Samuels, even though he is a first-team All-American in his time at Alabama, a top draft pick for the Washington Redskins, is not in the College Football Hall of Fame, I, I think that's a travesty. And does Tommy Tuberville, do we think that he's going to have an opportunity to really be in the College Football Hall of Fame? I know Larry Blakeney definitely deserves it. And I, I think he'll wind up being there. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure both will be. Uh, you know, I, I'd be curious to know what all goes into that selection process. Is it like multiple ballots? Like, how, uh, is it the same as the NFL? I, I'm not sure exactly how all that works. But uh, you know, I, I would think all all the guys you just named would have a very good chance. So, I, I don't know. Well, anytime you can transition from Division two to FCS to FBS, there's no question in my mind that Larry Blakeney definitely deserves to, to be there. I mean, because when you start thinking about Troy football, you you you, you say Larry Blakeney. You, you're thinking definitely coach did a phenomenal job while he was there. And you go to the FCFs playoffs seven times. You go to five bowl games. Also, but Tommy Tuberville, I, I don't know if he's going to make it. I, I just, I'm not quite sure. I think sometimes it's great to. to so th- these are just ba- these are just ballots that you're reading, yes. basically, and and, and uh, you might have said it. So who who votes for these now? So you have athletic directors and SIDs, okay, that are partaking and and making that decisions on whether you're going to make it or not mm-hmm. make it. I feel like there could be a better process there. There's got to be because there's no way that Chris Samuels should be omitted from this list. 
Now, you can't take anything away from Michael Vick being on there. Larry Fitz. You, you, you love Fitzgerald and what he was able to accomplish playing at Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he has his jersey retired. And his sophomore year, you, you catch 92 passes for 1,672 <laughs> yards and 22 silly, touchdowns. Silly numbers there. Uh, the video game numbers. Whew. Video game numbers. And, of course, everybody knows Michael Vick was a cheat code. So, for him, you know he's definitely going to be there. But I, I don't – I just – I really struggle hmm. with Chris Samuels not being on that list. That That's something that I, I, I don't understand and, and – and won't understand. And, and while we're still talking about college football, again, K.J. Lacey does verbally commit to the Texas Longhorns after coming in and being on our show last week. And that's something that I think we can keep an eye on here moving forward to when you have the coaching staff of Texas continuing to keep up with K.J. over the next couple of years, they're going to see some other impressive offensive and defensive players because on the other side of the football, Antonio Coleman with Alabama, Auburn, and Clemson offers. You know that Texas is going to come in and try to get two. Well, the question right now becomes who recruits who harder. If you saw the Ryan Williams quote from over the weekend, he says, like, man, like, I'm going to try to steal him. He's going to be saying roll tide soon. So it, does Ryan recruit KJ harder to flip to Alabama or vice versa? Is KJ going to try to recruit Ryan to flip to Texas? Man, oh, man. I mean, either would be either would be lethal. But <laughs> does uh, is there a chance that either could flip the other? You know, 2025. That's a lot of time. It's plenty of time. And that's one of the things now with, with your official visits and that rule being changed by the NCAA to where he can go to Alabama, he can go to Texas, Notre Dame, Auburn. Ryan was in, uh, I believe, Baton Rouge the past go weekend. Go down to LSU. And Hollywood in the boot. There. But the class of 2025, you and I were talking before the show started today yeah. about – Who's going to be at quarterback or who's not going to be at quarterback at 25 and 26? For Texas, you're yeah. saying? Yeah. So, I mean, well, Texas has an interesting situation now. It's really like they're they're running down the quarterback pipeline because obviously it's going to be yours this year. Could be yours the following year. And then you got to figure it's Arch Manning after that if, if he's still around. I mean, if yours sticks around for two years who knows what happens with arch manning but like in an ideal world for steve sarkeesian you go from ewers to arch to kj bar barring you know bringing in some super recruit in the 2025 class that's on the level of ewers and Manning. obviously kj is phenomenal but you know he's a, he's a four star so we'll we'll see if uh you know i i would doubt that texas is going to bring in a quarterback ranked higher than kj lacy in the 2025 class but you never know uh so we'll see what happens there but in an ideal world for texas yeah i mean KJ, I believe, would arrive on campus after, like, but when Arch is a sophomore, if I'm doing that math correctly. So, yeah, I mean, who who knows if that pipeline can work perfectly for Texas? Texas is setting themselves up pretty well at quarterback uh, as they join the SEC. Well, Steve Sarkeesian, no stranger to Mobile, Alabama, and and the talent that is here, and with that, and with knowing that. You have one of the most impressive quarterbacks 
in the entire state of Alabama that's a 2027. I knew you were going to bring him up. Quarterback. Mm. Trent Seaborn. Visiting Wisconsin this weekend. Yeah, and I, I want Trent Seaborn and Crimson. <laughs> Did you watch that state grade. championship game for Thompson? Yes. Against, uh, I think it was against Auburn. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was against Auburn. So, I'm doing the sidelines yeah. for the AHSA. Oh, so you were at that network. game. So yeah. you, you saw it in person. I was Absolutely. watching on like a, a grainy stream on my TV because uh, my roommate's brother actually plays for Thompson or played for Thompson. He was a senior this year. So we were watching it. And, uh, you know, he had told me a few weeks ago, uh, like a few weeks before the championship game, about this eighth grade quarterback who took over at quarterback for, for Thompson and is kind of balling out and course i'm a little dubious because he tells me it's an eighth grader playing for thompson high school probably the best school in the state and i'm watching this state championship game and he is making throws that i mean it, your jaw is dropped it is unbelievable some of the throws this kid trent seaborn is already able to make again he was an eighth grader he had like five touchdowns in the state championship game this kid is entering his freshman year for thompson this season it's it is truly unbelievable and, and is a very humble yeah young man as well he loves to play in the band and can play that musical instrument but he he plays defenses it's going to be fun to watch thompson this year with all of the hype that goes behind him and his maturation Again, only an eighth grader playing against 17 and 18 year olds. Can you imagine, like, uh, yeah, I, I'm leaving middle school to uh, to join my my uh, you know 17 year old five star teammates for for practice today. Oh, let me, I'll, I'll meet you guys at practice. I got to walk out of middle school first. Like, it's it, it truly is mind boggling stuff. Yeah, but but there's no lack of talent here in the state of Alabama. Not only in class of 24 25 is absolutely loaded 26 and 27 across the state and here locally are, are only going to continue to impress and that's what you want to see when you purchase that ticket for a thursday or friday night high school football game you not only want to support your team but nine times out of ten your team at some point in time is going to play that other school that has that those four and five star athletes and you'll get it a chance to to see players that you don't get a chance to see on a weekly basis because you do support your school but that's week in and week out here in mobile and baldwin county with high school football every single week you can have you know lafleur can be your favorite team ums can be your favorite team viger can be your favorite team not only are you going to have guys on your roster but you're going to have a absolutely loaded roster of opponents that you're going to get a chance to see play as well yeah no it's it, it's quite the area it's quite the state it, it is it is just phenomenal stuff i can't wait for high school football season well it's a month and a half away to getting started you want to tell the people who we're supposed to have on for for mobile's finest this yeah, week mobile's finest this coming wednesday sterling dixon jr from mobile christian Scheduled to join us here in studio, the renovated WNSP studios. He'll be signing his jersey officially. And if you haven't had a chance to hear from Sterling Dixon Jr., you, you'll come away very impressed with the way he carries himself, 
with his thought processes, with his decision-making, and the fact that he's been playing varsity football a long time as well and had a year basically taken away from him with a shoulder injury but has not let that stop him and his rehab and his comeback was better than the setback that he had. So now his senior season is upon him for Ronnie Cottrell and the Leopards of Mobile Christian and look forward to getting him in studio to, to talk to see why Sterling is pulling for the Crimson Tide and trying to pull others toward the Crimson Tide as well. Absolutely. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 Corley Bounty, along with my partner, Michael Bronner. We'll be right back. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for tuning in this Monday afternoon, and hope you've had a great work day. And, of course, the NFL is right around the corner, and there's always we just had the draft about a month and a half ago, and now OTAs are in full effect as the teams are ramping up to improve. Of course, Michael Bronner's New England Patriots had two of their OTA days erased because we're still on that check. Hey, look, I'm not gonna let it go, brother. That's fine. Now he seems like the Patriots have moved past it, it's been nothing but positive reports since then. The two two days they don't have to worry about showing up at the facility, but when you do show up, the NFL film crew, when they show up, or when you're wired and mic'd, here's an interesting article that was on CBS Sports today mm. by John Breach. The NFL is having problems finding teams to participate in one of my favorite shows, Hard Knocks. Mm. And the reason being, half of the teams have said, no, they don't want to be on Hard Knocks. And I wasn't familiar that there were rules in selecting what team comes on for Hard Knocks. And personally, I think that one of the best Hard Knocks ever was probably either the Ravens when they debuted it and or the Jets. Let's go have a snack. But <laughs> That's the best line in Hard Knocks history. For Hard Knocks, I did not know this, how they have a formula to where if you fall under these three rules, you don't have to be on the show. Yeah. If you have a first-year head coach in place, they have a playoff berth in the past two seasons, or they have appeared on Hard Knocks in the past Ten seasons. Well, I can you are think of a team to be on Hard Knocks. I can think of a team that fits none of those criteria. That would be, I guess, pretty exciting to uh, go right ahead. Who, who's it going to be? Well, that's got to be the Jets. It seems like the obvious choice. I believe that Rex Ryan one was in 2010, which would place it 13 years ago and just outside the scope of been on Hard Knocks in the last 10 years. They don't have a first-year head coach, and, oh, they had the longest playoff drought in the NFL. So, boy, oh, boy, have they not made a playoff appearance in the last two years. Yeah, you bring in Aaron Rodgers, yada, 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 all that. I mean, it seems like kind of a no-brainer yeah, if, if they're allowed here, to make here's them. Here's the choices. You have the Jets, the Bears, 
the Saints or the Washington Commanders. Yeah, now, boring, boring, boring. Absolutely, Jets. the Jets and Aaron Rodgers would be fun to see. But you have many players who have chimed in along with Jets owner, Woody Johnson, said, no, I, I don't want really any part. Robert Salee, the head coach, nah, not really. Well, here's the thing. Like, if you're a head coach, why would you want no, any part of that? Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I mean, if you had a choice, like, of course you'd say no, but I, I don't know exactly what the rule is in terms of, like you said, based on the criteria you said, it seems like they don't have a choice, so they sh the NFL should just make them. But, yeah, no, if it's up to me as the head coach or me as the owner, I, I would say heck no because it is a distraction. Uh, but that being said, if it's not up to them, there, there does seem like an obvious choice here for the NFL. Now, here, Jeremy Reeves, former South Alabama defensive back, goes undrafted, finds himself in a Pro Bowl, one of the most deserving players that you'll find earning himself an NFL contract. On Twitter, Jeremy Reeves said, they can keep that man. They can keep it. Hmm. He wants no part of the distraction of hard knocks coming to the Washington Commanders camp and filming hard knocks. Now, again, New York is New York. The lights are brighter, and I don't see how it's the New, NFL it's in New Jersey. don't choose hard knocks as far as the Jets. I don't, I don't see how they're going to be able to avoid that. And they, in the article, it talked about one of those are definitely going to be picked, but the Raiders didn't want to be on it in 2019, and... That the was a NFL good one. Said, yeah, you're going to be on it well, anyway. That was a good one with Gruden and all that AB drama and, and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, Hard Knock has kind of gone downhill in the last couple of years. Uh, I, you know, I'll watch it, I guess. Like, just It's almost like the the appetizer to football. It, like, gets you through those last, like, that last month or so before yeah. there's actually football. Then preseason comes on. It's like, ah. Like, maybe if I'm sitting down doing nothing, like, oh, I'll watch this week's episode of Hard Knocks. But I haven't been invested in, in Hard Knocks in, in a few years now. Like, the Cowboys one, I watched the first episode, and there's way too much Dak and Zeke content for me. And, and I was just out well, on the whole thing. Stars are going to star. Yeah, it was, it was, it was and just. they go with the no name. It, it was too much for me. But out of the out of the New York Jets, the Chicago Bears, the New Orleans Saints, and the Washington Commanders, the Bears would be okay. But the Jets are the obvious choice. Saints, I, the Saints and the Commanders kind of does nothing for me there. I would like to in the app. You can hit us up and let us know what team do you want to see on Hard Knocks, and do you even watch Hard Knocks? Because I know a lot of people watch it because it's football. It gives you that insight into certain players and certain franchises. But I did not know that there was that formula. I know here locally, a lot of people would like to know what's going on with the Saints, especially with Derek Carr mm. coming in. I've seen Winston. Derek Carr on a hard knocks. He was boring before. He'll be boring now. I, I'm good on all that. Well, no, thanks. I, I did not know that. They Dennis Allen that doesn't strike me as someone who'd be ultra exciting either. I guess the question is, it, would the NFL be better off eliminating its own formula to where they don't have this problem about who's going to be on hard knocks. Because I know that the Saints is a franchise that, okay, Sean Payton, when he got suspended for that year, that would have been a great year to showcase the Saints. And I know ESPN's 30 for 30 when the Ravens had the debut, 
Tony Saragusa and Shannon Sharp were gold. Mm. You, 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 you were great right there. And then when you have the head coach chiming in and being a part of that as well. Heck, if uh, if the Patriots don't make the playoffs this year, that would be two years without a playoff appearance. Oh, Sean Jones just said it in uh, in the ex- in the app as well. You know, I'd uh, I'd eat that one up. I guarantee you, I'd watch every. Good God, I talk about Bill Belichick's worst nightmare. Making making him be that should be honestly Bill Belichick's motivation for making the playoffs this year. Because if they don't make the playoffs, I believe the Patriots are officially eligible for hard knocks next year. So so what would that mean to you? My my, it gives you all access. Oh, I, I would love it, but it would also mean we don't make the playoffs this year. But yes, no, I'd be all over a Patriots hard knocks. I I'd I'd watch it intently, but. Uh, you know, it's 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 a complicated issue there. I Belichick would would might just flat out refuse, even though even if they say you have to do it, I don't that, know that you you wouldn't want to be a part of that. Now, well, I would want to see it done. You you had the Kansas City Chiefs that were in season three, of course. In season two, you had the Dallas Cowboys. Then they went back with the Cowboys, and you had the Bengals. The Jets were in season six, seven with the Dolphins, eight back to the Bengals, nine with the Falcons. So I just think the Texans got in on it a little bit. The Bucks got shown some love along with the Browns. Of course, we talked about the Raiders being in, but for some reason, we talked about it on Friday. The billionaire franchise is the Cowboys. They love going back to the Cowboys, but hard knocks. The New England Patriots, that sounds great. Sounds great if you ask me. The final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And Austin Hannon. B writer for Bama Central. Of course, having an opportunity to see if the Bama baseball bats will be blazing against Wake Forest this Friday. Austin, always a pleasure to talk to you and welcome to the final drive. Appreciate it, guys. How you guys doing? Man, too blessed to be stressed. And Austin, let's take a look at this Crimson Tide season in general because the preseason expectations were one of that they were supposed to be competitive, if not win, and be a favorite to win the SEC in the preseason. And we know how tough the SEC is, but it was not going to be a down year for Alabama baseball. And then all the co- a sudden, you see Coach Bohannon fired and the Crimson Tide baseball team rallies. Would that have happened if Coach Bohannon does not get fired in your mind? I don't know. I think that's an interesting question. Um, they, they were still having a pretty good season before everything went down with Bohannon. Uh, they were probably going to be a two or three seed in the regional. They were going to make the NCAA tournament, I, I believe, at that time. Um, and I think they, they still could have gotten into a regional and hosted one uh, just based off the remaining schedule they had was a little bit lighter than the, what they had seen before the firing. Um, so not, not to take anything away from Jason Jackson and what he's done. I mean, obviously, he's had a huge impact, and it seems like the clubhouse has been – you know, not as tight. They're playing with a lot less pressure, and uh, they seem to be having maybe more fun, and, and it seems like the guys are closer. Um, but I don't think necessarily it, it, it all is on Jackson. I think 
they still had a pretty good team, and they knew that, and they, they knew they had a good chance to host uh, just because, you know, they had the Texas A&M and Ole Miss and then a couple other teams that they felt like they could beat down the stretch after that LSU sweep. But, um, yeah, not to take anything away from Jackson, I think he's definitely still had a big impact. Austin, how do you explain the fact that Auburn was over was seated over at Alabama one and and that really got to host the regional in general. Obviously, Alabama took three out of four from Auburn, was ranked higher in RPI, and then you know Auburn ends up losing both home both home games in their regional matchup. Yeah, it's a million dollar question, right? I mean, I think now we, we've seen that the committee probably got that wrong. Um, I was one that believed that Alabama should have been ahead of not just Auburn but Kentucky and South Carolina as well, uh, but. South Carolina is advancing, and it looks like Kentucky might. Uh, they got a game seven against Indiana later today, or it might be going on right now um, to advance. So uh, those two teams, they, they took care of business. At least South Carolina did, and Kentucky's looking to today. Um, Auburn was a team that I know down in Mobile. I mean, there's a lot of Auburn fans down there, and um, I do radio hits on ESPN Radio in Auburn too. And, you know, they were happy, but they were, they were excited about their baseball team. And, um I don't know, though. I felt, I felt like they didn't have as complete of a resume as Alabama did. I, I think they played really good baseball for a week or two um, down the stretch in the SEC schedule. But like you said, Alabama beat them three out of four times. The committee saw them Alabama beat them in Hoover, which was just days before the selection show happened. Um, and they had a better record. I, I just didn't really understand that. But um, jokingly, I, I did tweet out when that happened that, hey, let's not forget that um, Cohen, the Auburn's athletic director, director is the chair of the selection committee for college baseball. Um, but I'm not going to say he was he had a hand in that and, and was, you know, favoritism and all that. But it, it did come out the way that I expected it to. I'm not saying that I expected Auburn to lose the regional, but they had a tough one. And um, Southern Miss was always going to be a tough draw for them. And you know, they obviously are out. They're 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 out, they're almost out of it too. It's it's pin right now. So. Um, Auburn just, they had that nice little stretch there at the end of the season, but they were beating teams like Ole Miss, which wasn't that surprising. I mean, Alabama swept Ole Miss, too. Um, and then they went to Hoover, and, you know, they beat one. They beat Missouri on the opening night, and then after that, they, they went two and out. So it, it was a little surprising, but, you know, now looking at it, it doesn't really matter because one team's left and one team is at home. Yeah, the John Cohen uh, situation is the conspiracy theory we've been kicking around a little <laughs> bit as well. But, I, I mean, I want to ask you, I, I read what you wrote today about, uh, you know, why not Alabama in, in the Wake Forest matchup. When, when you look at what Wake Forest did in their regional, like, I, I mean, how do you – and I understand, like, we talked to Tony Sakalas about this earlier, and he gives Alabama a really good chance. I, I just – how do you go into that and think like, yeah, we can beat this team? I, why, why not? I, I just—it's crazy what Wake Forest is doing to teams right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not—I mean, I, I like to give the fans a little excitement when I write. Um, I, I don't think there's—I don't think there's an amazing chance, but at the same time, like I said, why not? I mean, they've done—they've proven so much over the last few weeks. Um, they've hung with everybody. They're playing with SEC teams that are, you know, top teams in the country. Um, and they play, like I said, in the SEC, and, and Wake Forest doesn't. Obviously, the ACC is not a pushover. Um, we saw Boston College, another good team. Clemson, but Clemson got eliminated from their own regional. They won the SEC, ACC tournament. Um, and the SEC is the premier conference. And when you play teams like Arkansas and Florida, LSU, Vanderbilt, all season long, it kind of builds you uh, for, for moments like this. And, and Wake Forest is a great team. Um, they're, they're pretty much complete. They're pretty much perfect on both sides of the ball. They've got like five guys that have OPSs over one. They've got three pitchers with sub-three ERAs that they're, they're going to start all weekend. So 
it's not going to be easy. Uh, but I, I think the experiences that this team's been through that, you know, has made them stronger and they've won like 13 out of 17. Um, and they, they're just playing great baseball right now. And they believe in each other. And I think they, they really care about winning. And there's a lot of guys on that team that are in-state guys that, and Jason Jackson told us last night to the game that, you know, pitchers like Jacob McNary, like Garrett McMillan and, you know, outfielders like Caden Rose and other guys that are from the state, they care so much about winning for that Crimson A on their chest. You know, um, it's not like, you know, the, the biggest recruits in the country, they go to the big SEC schools and, you know, they all know that they're going to be first round draft picks and this and that. The guys, a lot of the guys on this Crimson Tide team, I've always wanted to play in Tuscaloosa. I've always wanted to play for Alabama baseball. I've always wanted to take this program to somewhere that it hasn't been, you know, since the turn of the century. So, um, I think that plays into it a lot. I, I by no means do I think they're going to be able to just walk in there and um, control the Demon Deacons and just kind of take two out of the three and get out of there. Uh, but I don't think that they're out of it. I mean, and it, when you look at it, it's a one versus sixteen. So most of the time, you're thinking, okay, the one over number one overall seed is probably just going to roll over the team and, and move on to Omaha. But I, I think that Wake Forest probably knows it too, and I I think that Alabama's playing the way that they're playing right now gives them a chance about it gives just about anybody in the country. Austin Hannon, beat writer for Bama Central. And what would it have been like for the Crimson Tide? They win in dramatic fashion in a walk-off against Nichols. Had they been at home and taken the air out of the Joe, do you think the same type of crowd would have stepped up for a loser bracket game instead of encouraging Alabama to play Boston College in the second game? I do, and uh, I'm just going to go back to the press conference from last night. Um, Jason Jackson kind of said, look, ever since the Bohan thing happened, it just feels like not just Alabama baseball fans, because it's a very niche sport in Tuscaloosa, right? I mean, you've got, obviously, Alabama football fans are crazy, and there's tons of those, um, and you've got the basketball crowd that there's a lot of those, too. But the baseball thing, you know, covering the team the last two years, and, and last year, obviously, not near as much success this year, um, there were still people there that showed up every day, right? There's the season ticket holders that, you know, have been dreaming of, uh, of making the Super Regionals for, for 13 years now uh, that show up to the Joe every day. And, you know, they've seen a lot of losing baseball. Um, and those people are always going to be there. I mean, they, they've always been there, and they're going to continue to show up. And I think the difference was, with anything, you know, people that, you know, maybe just go to football games or, or just go to some basketball games, and they see this team, they're like, wow, this is kind of a cool story, like, like, let's get the family together and let's go buy, you know, tickets for the weekend and check this thing out. And I think the weekend, it was such a huge weekend for maybe the future of this program because I think you brought in a lot of new fans that maybe haven't been to a baseball game in a decade. And it was packed. It was loud. It was fun. And they, they won all the games and it's exciting. And uh, I think because of that, because of the success they had this weekend, you might have just secured some people that are going to come to more games in the future. So, um, I think it was huge for the athletic department. I think it was huge for the baseball program. Um, and Jackson said a lot of things like that last night, just kind of how everybody's been so fired up and, and then really, you know, feeling the team ever since they went through what they went through. And like, it just seems like everybody, all the Alabama fans around, you know, the country around the state are kind of buying into this team and this program right now because of everything they've been through and everything that they're doing right now. Well, they're doing a lot and that's important in this series versus Wake Forest. What matchup is there for Alabama or what player should we really hone into that's had a couple of great games or has really been hot here within the last 10 to 12 games of the season? 
Well, it's all going to start with Andrew Pinkney, right? Um, just an absolute superstar player, superstar person, uh, dynamite outfielder. He can throw out anybody from anywhere. Um, he's hitting home runs like nobody's business. Just complete, just a complete package of a baseball player. So it starts there. Uh, really a sneaky guy that you know a lot of people probably haven't heard of is Caden Rose, um, Huntsville kid. Really, really good end of the season last year in the SEC tournament. I think he made he made the SEC tournament team, all tournament team, uh, at the end of that at the end of that week. So uh, he dealt with some injuries early in the season, didn't really get into the lineup as much, and then now he's kind of stepped back into that center field nine hole, um, and he's hitting the cover off the ball right now, and he's playing great defense, and he's doing all the things that we kind of thought he would be doing the whole season, but has kind of it's taken him a long time to kind of get going. Um, Jim Jarvis is obviously struggling, so if he can get going, I think that would be a key at the top of the lineup. It's just it's it's going to be difficult. So you're going to have to have guys that maybe haven't been the guys all year. I mean, you've, you've obviously got like I said, Pinkney, uh, Drew Williamson, Tommy Seidel. They they've been those guys all year. Who's who's it going to be that's going to step up? Um, and 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 Winston Salem because you're going to need some guys that ha- like I said have not been that. And I think Cade Rose could be that. Um, and it also is the pitching. I mean. Luke Holman's been great in the ace role, but then you've got, you know, Garrett McMillan didn't pitch very well against Troy the other night, and then Jacob McNary didn't pitch very well against Bandy, but he was great last night. Um, so to go to toe to toe with this Wake Forest team, you're going to have to you're going to have to bring it on both sides. Austin, great job. How can everyone follow all of your coverage moving forward, especially leading up to the game on Friday versus Wake Forest and especially Friday when the game gets started and this weekend as well. Yeah, so I, I will be, uh, I'm not sure how many people in the Alabama media will be heading there, but I will be um, in Winston-Salem this weekend. Um, so follow along, BamaCentral.com if you want to go on Twitter, and I'll have live updates there as well. It's Austin Hannon underscore. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be there this weekend and then doing my best, I guess, to uh, see if these guys can keep playing and make it to Omaha. Definitely would be a story, one that you can bet on that Hollywood would love to see that (laughs) script for sure. Austin, have a great weekend. We look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, guys. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Golf Report brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, engineered. And, of course, that means John Rachetti will be joining us. And, of course, Rachetti, to me, when I was taking a look at the golf action this weekend, I, I happened to be fascinated on the women's side about this young lady for the first person since 1951 to win in her LPGA Pro debut just after winning a national championship. Pretty impressive resume so far. Uh, Corey, you're right on, man. Um, uh, Rosie Zhang's uh, obviously uh, a, a, I think she's the best women amateur player in the world. Um, and she's got obviously going to have a great uh, professional career, evident that her first start turned professional. Uh, you know, she was at Stanford and, 
decided to turn pro and boom, she won the NCAA championship and then boom, she decides to turn pro and, and wins on the, in her first start. So obviously her future is going to be really bright. And then today she had to go back to Stanford, finish up some finals and move out of her dorm room. So, um, you know, obviously that's a big story in the game of golf, as you mentioned. And uh, I think it was, I think as far as golf is concerned, I think that's probably, in my opinion, the biggest story uh, of the weekend in professional golf, for sure. John, I'll ask you about Hovland and the Memorial in a second, but you've seen this uh, this 13-year-old Jaden Song or Soong in uh, in California who's who made it through local qualifiers. He's doing pretty well yeah, today as know. well. How's he doing today? I don't. I didn't I know how he. I didn't I know saw how he was doing. Today. I saw he was Obviously. one under through six. I haven't seen an update since though. And what put, was he on the cut line, or he just started? Out, I mean, what, how did it look? It was. Go ahead. It was only six holes in, and I figure he probably needs to go about eight under through thirty-six. So you know, not uh, yeah. not bad by any means, but. No, no. Well, I, you know, we broke the story. I remember I talked to you guys. Uh, we talked about it on the golf show, like, uh, was it uh, the U.S. Women's Open? There was a nine-year-old trying to qualify for the U.S. Women's <laughs> Open. Nine. I mean, that's just like, can you, fa- can you fathom Corey and Michael going to a classroom in the fifth grade and pulling some girl out? Uh, you're going to be in the U.S. Open? I'm like, no. it's just unbelievable. But she, even though she shot 82 or 83, which is still outstanding. Better than I shot this weekend. Me. Yeah, well. We're still working on you, Bronner, but uh, no, there's a lot of fascinating stories. Obviously, the Memorial, you know, an elevated event on the PGA Tour. Jack Nicklaus was your host and uh, felt bad for McCarthy, really did. Um, this kid, you know, he didn't make a didn't make a bogey for, what, 27 holes, and then boom, the 28th hole, which is his last hole, he ended up making bogey on and uh, ended up going in a playoff, and, you know, Victor Hovland picked up his fourth PGA Tour victory. By the way, I didn't realize this, guys, but that was the first victory he's had on American soil. Mm-hmm. He's won twice in Mexico, once in Puerto Rico on the PGA Tour. So that's his first time he's won in the United States. Uh, uh, first time, and I was kind of shocked when I did see that stat. But he's won all over the world, and he's your, I think he's your fifth-ranked player in the world now. But I can tell you this, Scotty Scheffler this weekend – if he would have made some putts, mm. would have won by 50. I mean, he just demolished, demolished the field from tee to green. And, uh, you know, what did he end up, third place? He just continues to be an ATM. It's incredible the amount of money this kid, this guy is making. And, you know, we talk about just we're just a couple of weeks away from the U.S. Open. And um, it's going to be very interesting as the PGA Tour moves to Canada this weekend. By the way, Bronner, your boy Rory McIlroy stumbled yesterday on the back nine. Again. Shocking, shocking and, uh, stuff. Shocking stuff, and uh, you know he had to. How do you think that trip to Canada was to Toronto today? <laughs> uh, he's already in the field. He probably wishes he could have probably WD and got ready for the, you know, the Open Championship. Oh, he doesn't. But, uh, he doesn't yeah, do Rory. that though. Go ahead. What's that? Rory doesn't do that. Rory would never withdraw from uh, from a big event. No, no, yeah, you're right. But uh, speaking of big events, I know uh, big local, the Alabama State Amateur Championship coming to the Country Club on Mobile Wednesday uh, here in town. It's going to be all. It's going to be a great event, and uh, I got a funny hunch that 
a local player is going to win the state amateur this year at the Country Club of Mobile. Got a lot of college kids, a lot of great players from Mobile, Baldwin County, and also some mid-ams playing, too, with some senior ams, so a lot of local. And I just got a hunch that somebody from one of our area codes here, zip codes, excuse me, is going to win this tournament this week starting Wednesday at the Country Club of Mobile. That's what I'm talking about. Hopefully there'll be some great weather. Of course, it's warming up a little bit, and we have those afternoon showers. But that Dan Hart LLC Engineered Products and Services update brought to us by John Rachetti. And coming up immediately after our show, you can catch the Miller Lite, John Rachetti show. And I'm looking forward to always hearing you and Bronner chop it up and, you know, Rashetti, always great things going on in golf that you keep us updated with. So thank you so very much for that. Well, I appreciate you guys. Uh, yeah, we're trying to get Bronner to the uh, 2025 U.S. Amateur at at Marion, and uh, we got to work on this game. We got an update every Monday, so keep your keep uh, stay tuned, and we'll be on at six o'clock live from Felix's Fish Camp. Thanks, John. We'll talk later. John Rashetti right, joining bye. us this afternoon at five o'clock upon us and again thanks everyone for tuning in of course we have coming up zach blackaby always joins us on mondays looking forward to catching up with zach next here on the final drive with Corey labounty and my producer michael brauner From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. number three of the final drive coming up here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for being locked and loaded the first couple of hours. Of course, you can call us at 251-694-1055 or you can reach us in the app. And this weekend, if you were an Auburn Tiger fan from a baseball standpoint, you, you probably were, were disappointed because expectations were, were higher than Auburn being swept at Plainsman Park. And I know our next guest, Zach Blackerby, is bouncing back from seeing the Auburn Tigers season end a little bit earlier than most had expected. Zach, good afternoon, and thanks for always joining us here on the final drive. Hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. I think Auburn baseball fans are frustrated not only with kind of how the, um, you know, how the games went and the outcomes, but also, like, I mean, a pretty awesome opportunity was just totally blown. I mean, I, I think everybody kind of agreed Auburn got given a really cool opportunity, probably seeded higher than they should have been, and then their draw was really, really solid. And, 
they weren't able to take advantage of that, and that's nothing against Southern Miss. It's nothing against Penn, but it's just Auburn should have beaten both of those teams, and that's just kind of not how it really came together. But also, I mean, while I was at Plainsville Park with my wife watching these games, I mean, it was hard not to think about all the criticism Auburn baseball and then Auburn athletic director John Cohen got because he was on the committee. And, you know, a lot of national talking heads and college baseball pundits were kind of pointing at him and saying, hey, you know, he showed favoritism. The committee showed favoritism because John Cohen was there. You know, Auburn didn't deserve this, which – you know, I don't think it's true, right? John Cohen talked about how he left the room anytime Auburn was brought up, and I believe him. But it doesn't look good, right? I mean, it doesn't look good when that was kind of the storyline that you were going to have to deal with going into the first weekend of the NCAA baseball tournament. And to go 0-2, I mean, you can't win a game. Uh, tough look, real tough weekend for Auburn baseball. Well, I will say this. I mean, you got to give Southern Miss their props. Can't take anything away from the Golden Eagles and the season that they have had. Yeah, and, sure. and, and the fact that, you know, Sunbelt Conference, they joined the Sunbelt Conference this in the last couple of years. And, and coming in, you knew that you were going to get Coastal Carolina and you knew that you were going to get a good Southern Miss team. But they just didn't hold back. I mean, they jumped on Auburn early and, and, and continued to play well. And I, I just don't know that expectations could you say this Auburn team on the year overachieved or underachieved because I know that health issues had a lot to do with it but they really started playing hot baseball at the last month and a half yeah I mean they, they certainly peaked the last um you know like you said last month and a half or so that's a tricky question Corey because I mean most people voted Auburn to finish last or towards the last of the SEC West so they didn't do that um, so I guess they overachieved. I think this team did a remarkable job without Joseph Gonzalez. I mean, not having him, uh, I thought was going to be devastating to their season, and it wasn't. They figured out a way to host a regional, which you know Auburn hasn't done that many times. So uh, they certainly overachieved. I mean, they did something they've never done in program history before, host back-to-back regionals, which is hard for any program to do. And so I think Auburn – and Butch Thompson have really elevated the state of the program. And, you know, if you get hot in the SEC once conference play rolls around, like, you know, Auburn, Mississippi State, LSU, it doesn't matter. If you're in the SEC, you've got a plenty of opportunities to, uh, to increase your RPI because your strength of schedule is certainly going to be there. And so Auburn's been able to take advantage of that over the last few seasons. So, yeah, I mean, despite how bad the season ended, this last weekend was pretty rough. Um, yeah, they overachieved. I mean, everybody kind of voted them towards the bottom of the conference, and uh, they weren't that. They were, uh, they were, you know, uh, uh, an upper half SEC team, which means you're a pretty dang good college baseball team. Talking to Zach Blackerby, locked on Auburn. We talk to him every Monday at five o'clock. Zach, I mean, we don't bring you on every week so I can expose your cold takes, but I think in this case I, I have to, and it doesn't make me happy. Uh -oh. Well, it makes me a little bit happy, too, but I yeah, I mean, it, uh -oh. it was the type of situation where, I mean, it, it, last week we were talking about Auburn has a really good chance to get to Omaha, so and again, it's I think you're not you're far from the only person who thought that. I kind of agreed with you, so do you think it was more just Auburn didn't show up to play in their regional matchups, or, or is it more, you know, Penn and Southern Miss might have been a little bit better than we thought? 
Him for sure, uh, definitely. I mean, I, I still think, and this is baseball, right? I mean, this is just kind of the sport of baseball. Um, I, I don't think a lot of things broke Auburn's way, right? Now, you know, are, is, is Auburn and Southern Miss, you know, are they equal programs? Like, I think most people would say no to that, but it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Southern Miss won when it mattered more. Penn beat Auburn when it mattered more. And so I think some of it comes down to strategy, like, Penn pitched their, you know, their best guys against Auburn's, you know, second or third best guy. And it's like, okay, you know, but you're a one seed, you're a hosting. You should be able to beat a four seed. That's, that's not, that's not what happened. Um, so I don't know. Like, I don't think what I said was wrong. And I think it's kind of what the way I started that, uh, the first question that you asked me, it's like, I think that's why this, this sucks so bad is because the fact that Auburn was given a really, really good opportunity and they kind of let it get away from them. I don't think it makes Auburn's draw worse because they lost. I just think it kind of makes it worse because it feels like they probably let a really cool opportunity slip out from under them. The SEC, we know how competitive and how hard it is to win in the SEC. LSU advances to the Super Regionals. TCU defeats Arkansas, and they advance to the Super Regionals. Of course, Southern Miss, it wasn't a fluke in defeating Auburn because now they're on their way to the Super Regionals. And, of course, you have Texas A&M and Stanford, and you already have, I think, Georgia, excuse me, South Carolina and Florida both advancing to play one another in the Super Regionals also. So the SEC is still standing up, even though they've had a couple of teams that have fallen by the wayside. Yeah, and when you get more teams in, there's going to be more that lose. You know, this is kind of this is kind of part of it. You say it was the same way with the NCAA tournament. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this is a it's a great league. It's the best league in baseball. And to be frank, I don't think it's close. But uh, the postseason setup for college baseball is incredible. I mean, it is. I'm not going to say it's up there with March Madness, but it's really, really good. It's a great product, and more and more uh, people jump onto it every year as they as they rightfully should. So. Um, Supers is going to be a great weekend. Next weekend is going to be a lot of really, really exciting baseball. And then Omaha is always a treat to watch. And there will be SEC representation all throughout it. Without question. And jumping from the NCAA baseball to the next level of Major League Baseball, I know that you're a guy who loves the Atlanta Braves. And the Braves, you look at what and how they were able to win last night. They're 5-5. Five and five out of their last 10 and still have an opportunity now. The Marlins have kind of crept up in the National League East standings. But Atlanta, what a win and what a way to to get on the road and have fun in winning it. Yeah, I mean, what Eddie Rosario did in Arizona, uh, I mean, it should be like teaching tape. I mean, he got so blazing hot. Hit two homers in that first game. They ultimately lost. I mean, yesterday they were down to their last out in the top of the ninth, and bases were loaded, and and he was able to, to hit a grand slam to, to give Atlanta that go-ahead score. So we'll see. They get the day off today after uh, after kind of tripping over themselves early in their road trip, specifically uh, against the, the very bad Oakland A's. And they bounce back up against a pretty good Diamondbacks team, especially on the pitching front. And so we'll see if that can kind of get them some positive momentum as they were, uh, return home to Truist to host uh, a series that's pretty important when you talk about You talk about the Marlins creeping up. The Marlins 
and the Mets. They've been back and forth, slingshotting each other uh, for that number two spot. They've been trading it almost every two or three days over the last few weeks. And so, you know, if if, if they're able to, uh, to take care of business against the Mets coming up, and there's going to be some incredible pitching matchups happening this week, uh, they got to take care of business there, and then all of a sudden they can kind of get that a little bit more of a cushion like they had a few weeks ago. But, look, they, th- this pitching situation, I mean, we got to keep some things in perspective because a lot of people are frustrated with what the Braves did last month. They went 15 and 14 in May. So let's keep some things in mind here. They had a tremendous schedule when you talk about um, playing teams with winning records and strength of competition and a road, uh, 10-game road stretch in there. Oh, yeah, and they lost Max Freed and Kyle Wright um, in their pitching rotation, and they still found a way to have a winning record. So this Atlanta team is good. This Atlanta team is really, really good. They've got five guys that already have 30 RBIs on the season. That doesn't include their best player, Ronald Acuna, because they all have a bunch of RBIs because they're batting him in. He's already on base. So there's just uh, there's a lot of explosiveness in this uh, lineup, and they're still trying to figure out the pitching rotation because we're, they're kind of waiting for guys to get off of the I.L., Michael Soroka is not quite ready to pop back quite yet. He got optioned to AAA earlier today. So there's still just a lot of you got to wait. You got to wait. And the fact that they're still dealing with all these things and being patient and finding ways to win baseball games, this could be a really, really special year once they figure all this out for Atlanta. Zach, I was reading your ranking the five most important games on Auburn's schedule article fan, sure. fan, fantastic yeah. writing by the way just another another Thanks. banger from blackerby as always but uh i actually auburndaily.com folks <laughs> auburndaily.com as always i thought you absolutely nailed it with number one with texas a&m i've made that observation a lot because like after a and that's the week four game after a&m it's georgia at lsu and then old miss i did think it was interesting like I, I i can i can get over that being above the iron bowl but then old miss sitting at two and the iron bowl sitting at three what what uh, what do we got going on there? Yeah, I think the Ole Miss game is more winnable. Uh, so I think that's I think Auburn can have a successful season without beating Alabama, and so um, that's why I have the Iron Bowl at three behind Ole Miss. And look, I, I think there's a lot of pettiness that has kind of risen between the Auburn and Ole Miss fan base. Obviously, you know the he said she said with hiring Lane Kiffin or the attempted hire of Lane Kiffin. Obviously, Hugh Freeze used to coach there. Um, these fan bases have been jawing back and forth at each other, and I just feel like inside Jordan-Hare Stadium, this is going to be – I mean, I think Auburn fans are going to treat this game like a Super Bowl. Like, I think it's going to be one that they really, really, really hype up mm. and want to get behind Hugh Freeze, who I think will have some early success at the point of the season to kind of really build up the excitement throughout the fan base even more. And so, yeah, that's that's why I have it at number two. Um, it's just because I think it's going to mean a lot to Coach Freeze. And I think also, you know, so many people are picking Ole Miss to finish several spots in the West ahead of Auburn. And rightfully so. I'm not critiquing that. But it'll give them a chance to kind of say, hey, this is this is a winnable game at Jordan-Hare Stadium. If you win this, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're a middle team in the SEC West. And I think that's good enough to make a big step forward as a program. Well, speaking of the – Ole Miss game. I, I do know one host at Locked On Auburn who was supremely convinced that Lane Kiffin was the next coach at Auburn. Uh, I think a lot of people were, <laughs> and, and I think um, I think Auburn was too. Um, I know it. So, and, and I think I think Ole Miss fans thought the same thing. Um, but yeah, that was um, 
what a what a saga. I mean, that two weeks was just that was awesome for content. It really was. And what's going to be awesome is the off season moving forward with baseball coming to a close. Of course, Auburn has its track and field that they have athletes who have qualified for the NCAA championship that I do believe is out in Dallas. So that will be the last stop for Auburn athletics before we turn the page Mm. and get ready for all of the exciting fall sports that are going on. And Zach, how can people follow all of your continued coverage of everything Auburn? Yeah, Locked on Auburn is available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube, 25 to 30 minutes of Auburn specific content every single day. You can find all my written work at auburndaily.com or if you're into the Atlanta Braves, you can check out uh, bravestoday.com for that as well. Zach, thank you so much. Appreciate you going around the horn with us from Auburn baseball to Atlanta Braves to uh, Lane Kiffin as well this afternoon and look forward to talking to you again next week. Hey, thanks guys. Y'all have a, y'all have a good week. Do the same. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, I'm Vernon Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNSP Mobile, Alabama. The final drive on WNSP 105.5 and... You would think that players in the NFL at some point in time would learn or understand Mm. that gambling and betting, whether it is on your own team or whether it's in the facility. You're not having deja vu, by the way, if you're listening to this. It's it's mind-boggling to me because now the Indianapolis Colts have confirmed that – They have a player possibly violating the league's gambling policy. Now, regardless of who this player is, he could be the second string, he could be the backup punter, he could be the starting quarterback, regardless of who it is. At what point in time are you going to understand that you just can't do it, especially if you're gambling and placing bets against the team that you're on. Wow, it it just came out like a second ago. Breaking news, it, it just came out. It, it's Anthony Richardson. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought I could get you. I thought I could get you. That would be more than breaking news. Gambling <laughs> on OTAs and, and whether he's going to have completed percentage. But, no, I, I just don't understand. No, there There is actual rumors coming out in the last half hour that it's cornerback Isaiah Rogers, senior. It's like a guy who's been playing for the – I mean, again, like like the initial report said, not a star, but someone the common Colts fan has, has heard of. Um, yeah, so the, the report from Ari Marav, a Colts player is being investigated for gambling on games, and there's evidence the player placed hundreds of wagers – including bets involving the Colts. Oh, boy. I mean, you, you just don't want a career. I mean, at this, I mean, this is – it occurred in April when we saw five NFL players suspended, four from the Detroit Lions, and some of them suspended indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Some of them cut and released. And Jamison Williams and Stanley Berryhill – 
and received the six-game suspensions while betting on non-NFL games at an NFL facility. Now, this is what I want to know. Should you just make it to where players can gamble and do what the hell they want to do outside, as even if it's on the facilities, as long as it's not on your sport? Yes, that's what I mean. That's what I. That's what I. That's what I said initially when the Jamison Williams thing came out. But it's becoming more prevalent. Is it helping or hurting your brand and your league? Well, I mean, to to that, to that, I would answer. To that, I would answer. Why don't you pull the uh, Caesar Sportsbook and FanDuel ads that they make hundreds of millions of dollars off of every year? I, I don't think. You can cry brand of the league when you when you're when you're partnered with lucrative nine figure contracts with these sports books. I, so if you, if you want to argue you don't want your players doing any kind of ga- I I think it literally would make more sense to say you don't want your players doing any kind of gambling whatsoever. I think that makes more sense than the rules currently in place. As long as it's not on your team or on. I, I think in the NFL in, in general, the, I think NFL players shouldn't be allowed to bet on NFL games. But, yes, I, I don't think it – like, we've re- obviously this is the exact same conversation we had when Jameson Williams was suspended. Yes, and it I, keeps happening, Michael. That's well, the thing. Well, again, this is, this is uh, evidently worse. As it sounds, this player was <laughs> making bets invol- – this Colts player was making bets involving the Colts. So, uh, yeah, not, not good. Not good. Red flags from the Indiana Gaming Commission go up. And and you know sooner or later, either you're going to run your mouth and you're going to tell on yourself or you're going to keep placing wagers over and over and over again. But Hundreds of at, them. At what point in time do you think the NFL changes its rules? Uh, probably. Or, or reevaluate them at least. Probably, probably here in the very near future. I, I mean, at this point, and, and what that process looks like, I, I don't know. I, it, do they come down with the hammer and say no gambling whatsoever on any kind of sports? Because that feels that happen. Yeah, that feels like something you can't really. No, uh, you can't restrict that. Yeah, so you can't tell me what to do with my money as long as I understand there's rules and regulations. Yeah. But you can't tell me what to do with my money. Now you can tell me what to do with my money as long as it's not on your facility yeah. and at your facility. I, I'm I'm a believer in that. Yeah, for sure. But to to for this for this player to just go ahead and say, well, you know what, my NFL contract, I don't want it. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, in this case, it's not really a matter of changing of policy. It's it's just a matter of this specific player being really really dumb. So, like, how is changing the gambling? Like, if a player wa- if a player on the Colts wants to bet on the Colts, you know. No amount of policy is going to stop him from doing that if he's going to be wa- willingly be that foolish. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what what is a policy change going to do if a player is going to willingly be that dumb? His career is effectively over at this point. So, yeah, I mean, maybe there will be a policy. I don't know. They'll make a statement. They'll, they'll do some sort of NFL PR stuff. They always do. But here's my question. Now you've seen it reach out to the Lions. Of course, you before Calvin Ridley was suspended, it, it dealt it bit the Falcons. The Jaguars is now who Calvin Ridley is with. It's bitten the Washington Commanders. Who who, and how many other teams is going to be next? And when you start looking at if there are multiple teams, because I know a week and a half ago there was a report that came out saying that you were going to see more suspensions. And this may just be the the first of, of, of the third because, yeah. again, when the, the Lions are hit, the Commanders are hit, and now 
the Colts are hit with it. How many more teams are going to be involved? Because multiples, more than three, is what I'm hearing all together before the season starts. You'll see players that are going to go and be suspended and, and risk it all, whether it's half a season, six games of suspension, because you know guys love to bet. You know they do. It's just a matter of whether you're going to do it at the team facility or not, whether you're going to do it against your own team, which you, you're just not going to win that. And especially when you're doing it multiple times, it's an addiction. It is an addiction. That's why you, when you see all those NFL commercials for the game insights, they also put the disclaimer on that. If you're having betting problems, please call 1-800 or there is a site that you can go to to get help. Well, yeah, they're legally obligated to do that. You think FanDuel wants you to call 1-800-GAMBLER? They don't. FanDuel wants your life savings. You know, they're they're legally obligated to throw that 1-800-GAMBLER message in there. I, I don't think that, I, I don't think the, the executives at FanDuel are like, you know, this is a dangerous habit. We should probably throw this in there just to be – I, pro I promise you it's not like that. But, I mean, if they didn't you, have to do that, they wouldn't. When you go to the table with collective bargaining, and you revisit this. At, at some point in time, the NFL Players Association, I know, has to say, look, okay, those who bet on the sport, give, give them a ban. We don't have a problem with that. But those who are betting outside of it, that's when it becomes a problem. Because I think that the Lions players who yeah. get the six-game suspension yeah. at the team facility for placing bets – even though you know it's in black and white that you can't do it. You you said it moments ago, Michael. It, it becomes a repetitive story that sooner or later that is a broken record that has to be fixed. And the only way you're going to fix it is to allow it outside of betting on your own sport. Yeah, I, I, again, it's not like they're telling these guys they can't bet on the NBA. It just, uh, you know. At the facility. The semantics of it. I don't think really make much of a difference. So, you know, to rehash a debate we had about a month ago. But we'll see it again, Michael. It continues to be a story over and over again. Doesn't matter if you're the second stringer, you're you're a starter. It, it's something to where it's a problem and it has to be dealt with by the NFL because if it's not, you're going to continue to have negative headlines. And even though it's a billion dollar business, what do you think? is going to sell more or what do you think is going to be talked about more the negative headlines or the positive headlines and <laughs> well, that's during the I off the season so, yeah at. during the off season certainly the negative one even during the regular season because you mm. still have the pregame shows that last two hours wow. to three hours they're going to talk about that too so you're still when it's affecting your brand negatively you don't want to see that and especially for gambling purpose the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, bring you down the home stretch of this Monday afternoon. This is Jordan Farley from the University of Alabama. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Roll time. Welcome back to the final drive. And last night, the Miami Heat turned it up a little bit. A little fire under Denver, beating them 111 to 108, doing something someone hadn't done in two months, which was 
to go ahead and take care of Denver at home. And the Joker has 41 points. And the Nuggets still take the L. 13 wins as an 8 seed for the Miami Heat. That's hard to imagine that they are an 8 seed is that a record? in the NBA Finals. Is that a record? Yes, it is a record. They were wow. tied with the New York Knicks and 13 succeeds the Knicks as far as the number of wins for an eight seed. And Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, 21 points apiece as basketball is a game of runs. And Miami was able to find a way to fend off the eight-point run that was given by the Denver Nuggets. And the question now becomes, how many games in Miami Will they split again and, and head back to Denver? What What is going to be the situation for the Miami Heat moving forward? Are they in the driver's seat after splitting? Well, they took home court advantage back. I, I mean, I would hesitate to use the term driver's seat, but, I mean, heck, they did what they had to do. Like, when you're a road team in a seven-game series— like that's your job. Your your job is not to go on the road and win win the first two games. Your job is to split and win one of two. And they did exactly that. I I would almost argue, not almost. I would argue that if you had to choose one of the games to win, not that it works that way, but I I would say it's probably better to win game two, after losing game one and have that momentum headed back home rather than you know making a statement game one and then losing game two and headed back home off a loss. Yeah, I think they're in a pretty damn good spot. Well, they they just found a way not to quit. And I know that a lot of their players and Jimmy Butler's attitude and, and they're, they're, you're going to ultimately be a reflection of your head coach. And Gabe Vincent comes out and scores 23 points. And his IQ of the game, of how he's been supported by his teammates – I know Gabe chimed in last night. Um, I mean, it definitely wasn't easy. Uh, the staff was great working with me, whether it was film or getting in the gym. Um, and my teammates have been phenomenal, coaching me up, telling me to be more aggressive when I'm questioning it or trying to think, should I pass first? And, um, you know, our stars, Jimmy, Kyle, Bam, they've just been in my ear and tell me just to play, play basketball. You know, they trust my, my IQ of the game and, and want me just to go out there and play hard. Well, you know, the IQ of the game and the way that the Joker makes it look easy. We talked about it on Friday before the second game was played. The ability for the Joker to make things look so easy and effortless. I, I thought that he was going to go ahead and get a triple-double pretty much in every game, whether it was four, five, six, seven games, doesn't matter. I Turns out it's not so it. easy to just effortlessly get a triple double huh well, well what's yeah i mean he, he makes it he makes it look easy so but simple. yeah and i like the fact that you know you have to pick your poison do you want to go ahead and let the joker get all his points what do you want to do eric spolstra he he had to to talk with ramona shelburne who does a wonderful job of covering the nba but he got he got mad at her. He 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 snapped quick, and Eric Spolstra chimed in in his post game press conference last night in regards to a question that was asked. 
Final question on the left. Hey, Coach. Ramona Shelburne, ESPN. Uh, this is probably oversimplifying things, but sometimes when, when teams play against Jokic, you, you turn him into a scorer, you turn him into a passer, and he controls the game. You, he only had four assists tonight. Yeah, that, that, that's ridiculous. You know, it's just that's the untrained eye that, that says something like that. This guy's an incredible player. You know, twice in two seasons, he's been the best player on this planet. You can't just say, oh, make him a score. <laughs> That's not how they play. They, they have so many different actions that just get you compromised. Uh, we have to focus on what we do. Um, you know, we try to do things the hard way, um, and he requires you to do many things the hard way. Uh, and we, he has our full respect, okay? <laughs> if you, I don't know, you can't see it on the radio, but he had his head in his hands. He was frustrated by that question. I mean, it, he was not happy. He, he doesn't want to minimize the Joker's greatness. Yeah. Regardless of whether you're trying to minimize and say, well, we just want to make the Joker a score. <laughs> or, or we just want to make the Joker a passer. Because he's going to get his rebounds. But I, I thought saying that, that Eric Spolster's response that's, that's was the pretty untra- good. That's the it untrained was pretty eye. interesting. Because he doesn't want to add any fuel to that fire to have any edge for the Denver Nuggets. Now, I will say this. Shooting the three ball well, 17 out of 35. Yeah, that'll help. You make 17 threes, you should give yourself an opportunity, or you're going to give your team an opportunity to win the game. If Coach Spo wants to call me untrained eye, that's fine. But, hey, what have I said? It's like they make their threes. Oh, look at that. They have a chance to win the game. They miss their threes. Oh, they're they're not going to win. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to start saying that to you, like when you say something like, oh, <laughs> two is better than Mac Jones. Oh, that's just the untrained eye talking about that. <laughs> well, you, you know that's coming anyway. But Kevin Love. Six points in 22 minutes is what Kevin Love comes away with. Inserted into the starting lineup. Bold. And a lot of people didn't didn't give credence to that. But I, I, I respect the fact that Kevin Love still has a lot to give to the game. And Duncan Robinson, he comes off the bench and, and scores 10 points in 17 minutes. He kind of took over for a minute there. Which is what you have to the do. Duncan Robinson game. You have to. And... and you know, four out of ten where the Heat couldn't buy a three-pointer, Max has an opportunity to to rebound from his abysmal game one shooting the basketball. When, when you're making those threes and you, you jump on them early, it's a whole different situation. And what can be a whole different situation outside of the NBA Finals is the fact that LeBron James. You had me on the edge of my wooed. seat with that transition. <laughs> He's being wooed. Who's he being wooed yeah, by? Kyrie is, Irving. This is something that was on Twitter today. To come to the Dallas Mavericks. Not the other way around. Mm. Kyrie openly wanting LeBron to come to Dallas. And ultimately, I think the 180 of that is going to happen. Kyrie's going to wind up joining LeBron. In L.A. Well, let's throw a couple things out there. One, LeBron's not a free agent, would have to get traded to Dallas, if I'm not mistaken. So Dallas would have to give up things they don't really have to get LeBron to to Dallas. Two, I don't know, LeBron, Luka, Kyrie, someone 
someone who uh, is a student of the game break this down for me, but I just, I don't know. I, I don't really see it working out. Do you, like, would, 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 is that a team that wins a championship? I, I don't think so. I just, no. Like, I, probably not, right? That I, team doesn't beat the Nuggets. No. That team, I, I don't think so. I, I'm going to say this. Kyrie going to the Lakers and playing with AD and LeBron. All three of them have to stay healthy. If they stay healthy, you get you a supporting cast that can help you on a retooled roster. The Lakers, again, definitely make it to the Western Conference Finals. Now, can they go beyond that? The NBA Finals? I, I, I think that LeBron, he wants to redeem himself after that sweep, for sure. Yeah. And because he signed a two-year de deal with L.A. after this year, this time next year, of course, his plans are to see Bronny James come out of playing for Southern Cal and having an opportunity to be in the NBA. Now anything happens. But Kyrie Irving, would he make the Los Angeles Lakers better than they already were making it to the Western Conference Finals this year? Would Kyrie make the Lakers better? Like, yeah, he, he makes them better. I, I don't know if... Uh like, what's that team's ceiling? I mean, they got swept, so they were in every game in the series. Yeah, they, they, they and were had a chance to win. Reach. So, like, yeah, he makes them better. Uh, does he raise the ceiling from Western Conference Finals to championship? I don't know. Uh, and obviously, if he doesn't, then it's not a move worth making. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot of factors there. The Lakers have to weigh. I, I, I don't know. It's like, is it? I don't know. Do you think the Kyrie "quote unquote" headache is is overstated? Every teammate he has seems to really like playing with him. So, and I know there's you know a lot of a lot of stuff around Kyrie. We don't need to get into any of it, but there's no in between with Kyrie. Either you love him or you hate yeah. him. Yeah, and there, again, there's no in between. I don't have an issue with Kyrie. I especially the player. Like he's he's phenomenal, and again, it seems like every team every teammate he has loves playing with him. So. I think that whole, like, Kyrie is a locker room cancer thing, I think it's probably pretty greatly overstated. I don't think Kyrie ruins teams or anything like that. Uh, it's just, like, does he make – the question you have to ask, like, throw all that off-the-court stuff out. Like, the, qu the question you have to ask is, does he make the Lakers a championship team? I don't know. With how strong the West is, I don't know if the answer is yes to that. But I, I think I do know that LeBron doesn't make Dallas a championship team. No. So uh, LeBron to Dallas. I'd love it though. I, I'd love it though. It'd be it'd be fun. It'd be something. I, I, I'd uh, I'd root for that to happen. Well, I, I will say this: that Kyrie again, it, it's going to be a 180. Kyrie is going to have on purple and gold before LeBron has on blue and green of the Dallas Mavericks. And Mark Cuban... It feels like a nothing story that kind of just gets thrown out during the NBA. I guess well, it's not well, the offseason. I, mean, I but think that there's a story, but it goes in the other direction. It doesn't go with LeBron heading to Dallas. It goes with Kyrie joining the Los Angeles Lakers. And can Kyrie make them a championship Maybe contender? he likes it there. I, I don't know. The final drive will put the finishing touches on this Monday edition when we get back. 
Hey, this is Slick Willie Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. Putting the finishing touches on the final drive here on this Monday edition. Corey Labonte along with my producer, Michael Bronner. want to thank Tony Sakalas for joining us. Todd Illustrated, of course, we had Austin Hannon from Bama Central as well, and Zach Blackerby joining us this afternoon. And, of course, we discussed the NBA Finals. We've talked about the Hard Knocks series on HBO. Four teams possibly part of the Hard Knocks series. The New York Jets being one of them. The New Orleans Saints being another. The Washington Commanders. And talking about what team you would like to see on NFL Hard Knocks. We talked Alabama-Auburn baseball. Auburn, of course, eliminated, losing to Penn and also losing to Southern Miss. Southern Miss is the real deal, folks. Going on to the Super Regional, having an opportunity after defeating Auburn as well. K.J. Lacey this weekend committed to Texas verbally and Oklahoma today won their 51st game in a row. And they're w- looking to to win their third straight Women's College World Series. Oklahoma, a true dynasty. One of the things that you just don't hear a lot of is mm. three-peats in any sport, especially one of the major ones, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, baseball softball as well. Now, Oklahoma, 59-1. and one. Of course, we... Talked about the College Football Hall of Fame ballots being thrown out there. Tommy Tuberville, also Coach Larry Blakeney, and the players, Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Vick, and Terrell Suggs, all in their first year of eligibility and the requirements. You have to be a first-team All-American. On Friday, Michael Braun, I asked you, it was National Donut Day. We had a good donut chat. What day is it today, Michael Bronner? Can you take a guess? Why don't you, I can't guess. Why don't, why don't you tell me? Well, I have well, a couple in front of me, though. There, there, there's, interesting enough, we'll National s- Veggie Burger Day. <laughs> so now, we'll, we'll start doing this every day. that veggie burger, Mike? Well, we'll start doing this every day. Some will be good, like donuts, and then some will be, uh, some will be <laughs> veggie burgers. So I got a couple more. I mean, June 5th, it's also National Gingerbread Day. It's National Start Over Day, whatever that means. It's also National Moonshine Day. Now, now, now moonshine. There, there's something. You know, moonshine is, is something I learned about on the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, okay? I'm good on the veggie burger. That might be more of a Nick Wiggins thing in the morning. Veggie burger is an interesting take, but the, but the moonshine. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can dig with that. I, I can go with the National Moonshine Day, but. Have you ever have you ever attempted to eat a veggie burger? I actually don't think I've ever attempted to eat a veggie burger ever. Maybe like I'd try like a turkey burger. Uh it wouldn't be my burger of choice, but like a like a plant-based veggie burger? No, I'm I'm not going to eat that. that. Well, what about gingerbread? Are you a gingerbread guy? It's not my favorite. Uh it's certainly not I like 
if you're making Christmas cookies, like gingerbread's the last one I'm going to on the plate. But if it's like if it's the last one there, like I'll I'll grab a gingerbread because like I have a sweet tooth and yeah I'll, I'll eat a gingerbread cookie, but I'm not happy about well, it's it. It's gotta have icing on it if yeah. you wanna go with, yeah. with, with gingerbread. Yeah, you know, no that's, doubt. That's the best way. I'm going for the the sugar ones before the Without gingerbread question. for sure. World Environment Day and National Start Over Day. As we'll well, we'll start over tomorrow. The, again, the final drive will start over tomorrow. We want to thank everyone for tuning in this afternoon, giving us a call at 251-694-1055 and corresponding with us in the app as well. Stay tuned. Coming up, the Miller Lite John Rachetti Golf Show right here on WNSP 105.5.